A garrison is a safe place where an army gathers. In the same way, the Disability Garrison podcast is a place for the army of disability rights advocates to gather and discuss complex issues. We are unafraid to identify problems in our world and have difficult conversations about them. But we are not just here to complain. We spend our time brainstorming solutions with generals in the disability rights movement. Together, we take action to make positive change and lead the fight for justice and equality. My name is Hallie Carmichael. My name is Michael Murray. This is the Disability Garrison. Everyone deserves the right to be able to play with their peers. We know that play is so important, especially for young people and their development. And getting to go out on the playground brings so much joy and happiness to everyone. Unfortunately, most playgrounds in the United States are not inclusive. If you're a parent with a disability or a child with a disability, it is very hard to find a playground where you can go and play with your peers or play with your parents. And that's something that we really want to address and we want to talk about today. In 2010, the Department of Justice did release ADA standards around inclusive or accessible playgrounds. And those standards are a good start. Unfortunately, there are so many things that they don't take into consideration. So today, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about how can we ensure that everyone everyone has the right to play in an inclusive way and how can we as the disability garrison join together to fight for the right to everyone to have the access to play and this is also going to be kind of a cool interview because i get to interview my co-host holly carmichael as our special guest and we're also going to have another parent who's done a lot around inclusive playgrounds so i'm glad that you're joining us disability garrison this is going to be a lot of fun all right. Hello, Michael. Hey, Holly. I'm so excited. We're about to talk about accessible playgrounds. I know, I know. Inclusive playgrounds, not accessible, inclusive yes, playgrounds. Yes, yes. Beyond accessibility, we have yes. some pretty amazing guests, if I do say so myself today. Yeah. Um, we are joined by Julie Kennerson. Uh, she's a, an advocate and has been doing a lot of good works uh, around um, in honor of her son, Jake, who I'm sure she'll, she'll touch on and tell you about. She's, she's been doing a lot of good, good, good works. And she is here to talk with us today about her latest endeavor in these good works of expanding inclusive playgrounds uh, so that really everyone can play. And as you know, it's, it's a topic uh, near and dear to my heart that I'm very passionate about myself and, and work yes. towards. So, so I'm excited to also share a little bit uh, yeah. on that with our listeners. Absolutely. And today is going to be a little bit different. So Julie, we're so glad that you've joined us. And I'm going to be primarily asking some questions of these amazing folks, of Holly and of Julie, to learn a little bit more about their stories, why we're so passionate about this and what we can do to make a difference on it. And so listeners, this will be a slightly different podcast. We have uh, one interviewer becoming interviewee. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so we have two guests today and I'll do my best to guide us through this. So Julie, so excited to have you on here. Let's start. Tell us why inclusive playgrounds, why the fight for this? What started you on this journey? Great. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you reached out and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to sit here and talk about this issue that I am very passionate about. Let's see, inclus inclusive playgrounds. 
has been an issue ever since uh, we had our oldest son. His name was Jake, and he was born in 2008. And he was born with a very rare metabolic disorder called CDG. And due to the disorder, it meant that he was non-ambulatory and nonverbal. He had a seizure disorder, and he was legally blind. So he had a whole host of things that were made life a little more challenging, giving, given accessibility issues and inclusion issues. And also he was a kid with a great personality, a beaming smile. He loved to laugh and he loved to play. And so as his mom, we, and dad, my husband was always a part of it, uh, teaming up. We just wanted to do whatever we could to help him find the joy in life and to help us find the joy in life. And because he liked play, finding playgrounds that worked for him was always a part of it. We ended up having a second son whose name is Lucas, who was four years younger than Jake. And so it became part of our family activity to try to find playgrounds that could work with both kids. So I come to this conversation with the lens of a parent who had a child who was in a wheelchair and a able-bodied typical child. And I can tell you the playgrounds near us that where both kids could run off and play. And I could tell you the playgrounds where we had Jake sitting next to us and I was reading books or playing Uh. iPad or singing songs uh, while Lucas could go off and play on all of the equipment. So that's my background. And then very recently, it's become a passion project of mine because the town that I live in had to overnight close last summer, overnight um, close many of the playgrounds due to safety issues. And so they now have in front of them a long list of playgrounds that need to either be rehabbed (laughs) or completely renovated. Yes. So I can tell you more about that as we have this conversation, yes. sort of what well, sparked my advocacy right now in the present tense. <laughs> yes, yes. Julie, I, I love that. And I think Holly has a has a similar story. And I, I don't know that all of our listeners know your passion and fight for inclusive playgrounds. Yeah, no, um, very, some, somewhat very similar to, to Julie in terms of trying to find a playground that uh, both my child who, who is typically developing and has um, full physical abilities uh, and my daughter also who has CDG, which is how I met Julie in the CDG community, um, find a spot where they could both play together. And really, I think what kind of sparked it for me was when Maggie started going to preschool and there just wasn't um, anything she could play on at recess, you know, she would, she would, they would take her out of her chair and set her down in the wood chips and and she would just be covered in, in Uh, these wood chips. Wood chips are terrible. Can I just get like, (laughs) wood chips are so bad. Nobody likes wood chips. Nobody likes wood chips. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know for us, I'm, I'm curious for you, Julie, but when I started digging in and researching the closest playground I could find that was accessible and inclusive was over 50 miles away, you know, so there wasn't even, there wasn't one in our entire County that, um, kind of met some basic, even, even ADA things that should be met, but uh, unless they're enforced or somebody's kind of pushing a a city commission or a a school board on it, it it just doesn't happen. It just goes unnoticed. Well, and we're going to jump into 
what both of you guys have done to make a huge impact on this. But before we do, I want to make sure that we lay the groundwork. Yes, this is about two beautiful children having an opportunity, but I think it's bigger than that. And I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about the importance of unstructured play um, and also talk about the importance of inclusion as it relates to play, because what we're dealing with, yes, it is about the individual and yes, it is the right thing to do. And Hey, uh, we're even going to talk about it. it is the legal thing to do. You have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's illegal to have an inaccessible playground, but if you could talk about the impact of unstructured play and also the positive impact to everyone else for building inclusive environments. I'd love to talk about that if I can jump jump in, Holly. And I want to say, too, one thing I didn't mention is that our son, Jake, passed away two and a half years ago. And I think that's an important part of our story, too. He got quite ill in the fall of 2017. And then two years later, as a fallout from that illness, he passed away. But we carry him in our hearts and um, think about him all the time. So as Holly said, I know I do a lot of this work right now. I have more time. I can advocate and uh, And then we do it in honor of him. So I really have seen how inclusive play, on the one hand, I'm doing it for Jake, for my child who was in a chair, but really I'm not doing it just for Jake because we see the importance of so many things. So as my, for example, there is a great, great inclusive playground um, at Spalding Rehab, which is several miles away, probably takes us 15 or 20 minutes to get to. And it was one of the playgrounds we would frequently go to because both Jake and Lucas could play together. And we were very used to being stared at because Jake was in a chair, because he was nonverbal, but still made noises. His movements were, I guess, sparked curiosity in other kids. And we were stared at. We were used to it. We were stared at. I wished it didn't happen, but we were used to being stared at wherever we went. And so one of the afternoons we arrived at the playground and we were sort of unloading and getting onto the playground. My son, Lucas, who was probably four at the time, I think Jake was about eight. He noticed a group of kids just staring at us and he looked at them and he noticed they were staring at Jake. And he just says in his four-year-old voice, he just says, oh, that's my brother, Jake. He can't walk and he can't talk, but he can play. And then off they went and started (laughs) playing. And by the end of the hour, weren't they all playing together? And I thought, not only is that good for Jake, because he wants to play just as much as any other kid. And he gets to because it's an inclusive playground. It's good for Lucas because he gets to play with his brother. We're not splitting up the family. We're letting the siblings play together. And it was good for every one of the other kids because it went from them staring at him and thinking how different he looked to realizing, oh, wait, he can play to realizing, oh, he has a personality. Oh, he can communicate what he (laughs) wants to do. Oh, look, he's laughing. He really likes it. So I feel like every one of those kids was positively impacted simply by the fact that this playground was designed to include all kids together. Yeah, that is so good. And and thank you for sharing about Jake. And thank you for continuing the fight. And we, we at the Disability Garrison are honored to join you uh, in honoring Jake uh, by continuing to fight for this. Holly, talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk, let's, let's stick on this. You know, why are we, why are we taking this fight? Why are we continuing to push for this? What is the importance of unstructured play? 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, there, there is so much, the data, the science and the research also strongly supports this concept that, that all kids, regardless of whether they might have a disability or not, do better when they can play together and play with one another. Um, As Julie's story so greatly highlighted, uh, kids figure out a way to play. They're more creative. They're, they, they develop stronger social skills. And I think there are some real thoughtful things that uh, parks and recs folks, school boards, and uh, playground designers can be thinking about when they're, they're designing a playground. I think it's often, I think the, the main issue that we face in terms of playground accessibility isn't one because these, these folks are planning this and saying, Mwahaha, we are going to not <laughs> let right. anyone using a wheelchair play. I, I think that it's just not well thought out. And yeah. it, when you think about this concept of universal design, it's really mm-hmm. thinking through the different ways uh, every type of playground user can benefit. And, and these could yeah. be grandparents in walkers playing yes, with a grandchild. Right. This isn't e- even just uh, talking about children in some aspects. It's, it's thinking thoughtfully about how this space will be used and what are ways that we can create the types of, of play environments we want. So one of the things that uh, we talk about in universal design, for example, are, are making sure that you have varying challenge levels of the same play type grouped next to one another. So often a big mistake that playgrounds make is they kind of make a toddler area, right? Like, oh, this is where all Mm. the easy stuff is. And then all the more challenging stuff is over here. But when you have a child who who isn't developing, typically you may need to use the easier stuff, but maybe the age of of the older child, they're they're segregated unnecessarily. And really um, there are ways and there there are smart pieces of equipment that even can combine challenge levels so that a kid with one level of, of challenge can can go right alongside another uh, and, and play together and interact and, and socialize and and have all of these beautiful opportunities that are intangible and and, and can't can't really be created you know intentionally it, it's it's just you, you create the environment and the kids do the rest it, it's pretty magical that is so awesome so we we've outlined the problem the problem is that uh inclusive playgrounds are very hard to find. We've outlined the incredible value um, that it can bring uh, having inclusive playgrounds. I would love for us to spend a little bit of time talking about both of your fights and how you've had success. And then I promise, I know that both of these guys want to dive into the core of this, which is going to be, how do we create, how do we create, what do those accessible playgrounds look like? We're going to get to that. But before we do, both of you guys have fought and succeeded in creating these inclusive playgrounds. And I think that our listeners want to know, how can I participate? How can I be a part of this? I agree with you. It's a problem. I agree with you. We need it. And so Holly, I think, I I mean, I I love hearing this story. Uh, And so I think we, let's start with you on this one. How did we get an inclusive playground in Sturgis, Michigan? Yeah, in Sturgis, Michigan, a little town of of only about 11,000 people. um, And we're the largest city in our entire county. And like I said, we we didn't have a single accessible playground and one in, in my, and I will say professional since I did go online and get certified and read the ADA regs <laughs> as part of that certification, in my professional opinion, 
does not meet uh, ADA regulations even, which is the bare minimum. When, when we talk about inclusive playgrounds, we're talking about more thoughtful beyond just uh, yes. simply ticking a, a compliance checkbox. So but even that basic aspect, we weren't, we weren't there. And I started raising this issue uh, first amongst just, you know, at the preschool itself of, of what can I do? My daughter can't play. Like, how do I, how do I fix this? And, and um, just hearing about the woes of funding and oh, we can't, you know, there's, there's not enough funding to do this. And which, and which is a really obnoxious reason you've had how many years has the <laughs> yeah, ADA been around? ADA has been around for over 30 years. So you should have been saving 30 years. If you're watching. Right. Come on. And you can't funding, find a single inclusive yes. playground. Yes. Yes. So funding can't be, that is a very frustrating, I think for, for um, people with disabilities to hear that it, it, it can't be used as an excuse anymore. There's been a no. long kind of tale there, but um, in reality, that's what they were up against. And so I worked, I talked with our, our superintendent and some of the, the principals at the elementary schools to kind of figure out what uh, this looks like, educate them on the issue, show them the gaps that existed, I think, from, from truly a regulatory standpoint of here's a picture of our playground Here's what the regulation states. And here, by the way, is an OCR complaint that has the same type of issue that one. So, Mm -hmm. so this is a, this is a real issue. It does not um, meet, meet basic compliance. And And for for our listeners, office of civil rights. Yes. Yes. Office of civil rights. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the enforcement body. And, and one of the reasons why so many playgrounds, I think you see still aren't in compliance because it's very, hard and tedious as a, as a parent or as a person uh, with a disability to go through filing a complaint and, and it just, it's, it's a very tedious process and that's, that's the enforcement mechanism. And it's difficult even, even for uh, myself that, that has support and resources to, to be able to do something like that, that just was, would have been a hard challenge. But instead, the route we took is is figuring out, okay, what's, you know, you tell me what the hurdle is, I will figure out how we get over it. It's funding. Okay, then what what type of how can we get funding? And so there was an opportunity to look at a millage getting passed to support uh, the schools in, uh, they call it a building and site sinking fund millage that can support renovations of parks, playgrounds, or buildings. And so and then Holly, it was, what, what's a millage? How does a millage work? Yes. So a millage is essentially a, uh, raising the property tax for a period of time in order to obtain a certain amount of funding from property owners in a school district to do a certain project on that school that, that supports so that population. So we, I ended up going, I guess, doing my homework on how, how do you pass, uh, building site sinking fund millages <laughs> and, um, partnered with a, a group of community Sounds members. Like a riveting research <laughs> project. It is very interesting and really, um, <laughs> I don't ways. think I would find that interesting. Julie, you go with you your yeses. She would. She would. Yeah, I you know would. She you would. would. Okay. I well, that's why you guys. That's why you guys have successfully <laughs> yeah. done yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. But keep going. Keep going. Yes. So you find, um, you know, and just ended up 
essentially creating a, a campaign to yes. uh, get this millage passed and explain. I think it only passed by like 13 or 19 votes. It was very tight. Raising property tax is not an easy. Well, but remember, um, we ra- you raised property tax in a red area that yeah. doesn't like taxes, but they said yeah. this is worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of, on behalf of the school, I mean, of course, the playgrounds was one piece of the project. And so they also had other renovation projects with the buildings that were rolled into the funding. But, you know, we we got it passed and we were able to sit down as a planning group and select Mm -hmm. and and design, uh, you know, kind of what play elements needed to be there. And it was a really just rewarding experience to work alongside and I think educate others about different ways to look at things. So for example, we ended up getting a metal rolling slide on our playground because those are really important for um, students that might use hearing aids or have cochlear implants because the static of a plastic slide can impact that. So normally those kids are like taught, don't, don't go down slides, don't go down slides. So um, we wanted to build a, a space and make sure that we were just thoughtful about all the types of students that go to the playground. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I guess that I faced was there, there would be some naysayers or people who would say, well, this is just one kid, like just for your kid, we're building this super expensive playground. And and so going through and, and kind of making sure that a, they understood some of the other benefits that come with having a universal and inclusive playground, especially surfacing. Surfacing is a big one. So the wood chips that I talked about yeah. was a, a huge piece for Maggie. And but they're also not very safe for kids, totally. even typical kids, because they're often not maintained well at all. Yeah. We, we would have huge bare spots or or rarely any at all. And as far as having enough cushion to brace for a fall and prevent an injury, that unitary surfacing and unitary is meaning kind of like a solid, flat, almost rubberized surface. There's different types. There's tiles, there's poured rubber, there's even turf could be considered a unitary surfing, but it, but it's not this loose fill type of wood chip. And it's definitely shown and proven to be much safer and much lower maintenance um, down the road. Although there is a higher initial cost, if, if uh, playgrounds and parks maintained the wood chips as required through ADA, the cost would be astronomical. The, yeah. the reality well, is they don't do it. Absolutely. And, and we, we're going to dive deep into all of those different pieces. You can tell they just want to get there, but I, <laughs> I want to make sure that folks hear the, the storyline. You found out that there was a problem. You, you worked it out and there were multiple choices in front of you. As many of our listeners are going to have, you chose a millage. And the reality is that people came in behind you and they said, yes, having uh, inclusive play is of value to us. And so before we move to Julie to ask her kind of the same uh, question and hear that same story, Holly, what was it like watching Maggie actually get to go on this playground that you had fought for and and enjoy it with, with her peers? Yeah, it's pretty magical. I still get to see her go play on the playground even today. And it's still... I still have to pinch myself a little bit because I think when, when you do advocacy work, it is a lot of tiring, you know, it's, it's kind of never done. You know, you climb one mountain peak only to see where the next one is. Um, And so a playground is, 
such a real tangible thing. We can visit it. We can see it. She can, um, you know, she can touch it. She can, she can interact. She can play. I mean, it's her favorite part. I mean, I think if all of us reflect back on your favorite part of, of grade school, uh, recess comes to top of the list for, for nearly everyone. So, so to make that able to be Maggie's favorite thing too, and make a space where it could be her favorite thing and she can play with friends and it's pretty magical. I love it. Julie, I'd love to turn to you and just ask that same question around, how did you talk to us and tell us some of the fight that you've had and some of the victories that you've seen? Sure. I'd be happy to. So ours started this time around in February, given that the playgrounds were closed last summer, all of a sudden our district received some ARPA funding and they decided, great, let's put that towards some of it towards the playgrounds. And they wanted a very, very quick turnaround. So they shot out a survey to us at the beginning of February, I think it was February 8th, and told us that the first hearing would be on February 18th, where they would show us an idea of a playground, and two weeks later would be the final vote. So there really wasn't much time for community input at all, but they did that on purpose because they wanted the final drawing to go out in March, go out to bid, get the bids by May, start construction in June, so that by next September, the playgrounds could be built and all of these kids at the school, this is the a town playground, but it's adjacent to the school, so it right. is playground that those students use at recess time. They've gone all of this school year with only a partial playground. They're very eager to have it up and running for the beginning of the school year next year. And if we slow down, then just so everyone knows, we might not have a playground for all of next year. So it was very, very quick. And for me, I took the survey because I thought, oh my gosh, this is great. Our experience at the playground now is there's one thing that Jake could play with and that's it. And I thought, this is going to be the opportunity. This is great. Let's make it better. So we took the survey and I realized of all the things they were surveying us about, they had us prioritize certain elements. What of all of this, what's your most important? Is it um, climbing walls or rope ladders or slides or whatever? There were seven ideas prioritize them, new page, seven new implements. Is it the swing? Is it the monkey bars? Seven new elements, prioritize them. And as I took the survey, I I thought, none of this is my priority. My son couldn't play on any of this. And this isn't my priority at all. So in the box at the bottom of the survey, when they allowed for open input, I just went heavy on wheelchair (laughs) access, inclusion, inclusive play. That's my priority. So I'm sure a number of people filled out the survey and I went to the first meeting where they had us vote right at the beginning of the meeting between two play structures. And I looked and I just started having this sinking feeling Uh, and I thought neither, neither of these plates there, they, they were build as being accessible, which I'd love to tell you about. But in reality, Jake couldn't have played on any of them. So we voted and we voted, we, we, the people who were attending that Zoom meeting voted. 
And one of them was chosen. And after that, they allowed the opportunity for question and answer. Um, and so I, I did realize everyone comes to the table with their own lens. So there were people asking about trees and shade, and sure. there were other people asking about the memorial. I was the one asking about access, wheelchair access and inclusion. And there were two features in particular that really stood out to me in that first meeting. The first was that the way to get to the upper elements of the play structure were a climbing wall. Um, a climbing rope structure and a staircase. And the staircase was labeled on the diagram, accessible staircase, <laughs> which I didn't understand. And so in my most curious tone, I said, yeah. I think that I just need help understanding. I see the word accessible, but can you help me understand how the staircase is accessible? And what I was told, the um, designers were there, that it was ADA. This was an ADA structure that they were offering us. And it was accessible because it had a wider platform at the bottom. So someone who was in a chair, if they had the upper body strength, could transfer to that wider platform and then could drag themselves up the stairs. And there's so much that I saw that was upsetting to me about that. It's terrible. The human dignity factor, yes. uh, not to mention the interruption in the flow of play. And yes. my son couldn't have done that, right? My right. son yeah. didn't have the upper body strength. So I was also told that it was accessible because the stairs were wider than typical stairs. So a, a child could be um, assisted by an adult making their way up. But we all know that as, if children are playing together, as soon as an adult enters the play, the nature right. of play changes. Yes. So that I sort of put a pin in and thought, okay, I'm going to leave. What that a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, the second thing that I had heard was they knew and they mentioned in that meeting, we've gotten input about accessibility. So we know that we will work on making this wheelchair accessible. They wanted to be sure everyone knew it was an ADA playground because there would be a path to the play structure. And that was the ADA accessibility. So I, of course, am listening from my lens and I'm hearing them say there's a path to the structure. So I ask, so then what happens at the structure? Right. And the person leading the meeting said, well, it'll be mulch. And I said, oh, and he said, yeah, I know. And Nobody I thought, likes mulch. Okay. And so, so <laughs> that's where we ended. And that was a Thursday night. And I remember I just chewed on it and chewed on it and mm. chewed on it for several nights. I lost sleep over it. And what I realized is that I wouldn't be okay with myself if I didn't say something and yes. I have to say something. And so I spent, it happened to be right before our February vacation. So it became a very intense February vacation for me where I started on that Tuesday and I just did a ton of research. So in terms of process, I called an adult friend of mine who um, is in a chair and I was like, Dave, talk to me about mulch. And he's like, mulch is horrible the worst horrible sand is horrible you can't have asphalt that's dangerous when kids fall but you know what's really good and he mentioned one playground in town that had that rubberized surface he's like that's really good I was like okay All and right. then I called someone who had helped the city of Burlington Vermont get a an accessible playground she's also a special ed director she happens to be my sister so I was like hey <laughs> talk to me and so we had a very long and heated conversation about it I also went online. So my town, to their credit, had done an ADA 
um, analysis of their playgrounds a number of years ago. And so they had every public space analyzed for ADA. And I read that entire document and discovered and learned, I'm learning a lot through this whole process, that there's a difference between ADA best practices and universal design. Yes. And so, th so that was important for me to note and the best practices, which these are 88 in 2010, the standards were rewritten and the best practices in the field allow for access to 51%. So more than half of the upper elements in a play structure and access and interactivity to a certain number of the ground level elements. So I thought, that's good to know because this proposal doesn't meet that. Um, so and then good. finally, I called the vendor itself. I found out what who the vendor was and Smart. I called the vendor and I was like, <laughs> can you just help me understand? Because we're having a conversation. I'm being told that this play structure is being sold as an ADA play structure. And it is. So it was being sold and it is officially an ADA structure, which I think is curious or very problematic um, because she explained or a bunch it. of crap. Yeah. Or if say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that an accessible staircase makes something check yeah. the ADA box, so confusing. And then the elements underneath, there were four elements. One was that a wheelchair could roll under the bridge. Okay, there's no play involved in that. Um, there was one panel, so that would be something that a kid like Jake could access. There was a hammock that was considered accessible. I'm not even sure that it would have been like size-wise safe for Jake to go on. Right. And then there was one area that was a social space and a wheelchair could roll under to make it social. But then I'm thinking, where's the play? That's not yes. play. Yes. That's allowing a chair to move around, except that it was mulch. So actually, no, we couldn't move the chair around. And we were landing on a new playground that once again would have one panel, one one element that Jake could play with. So armed with all of that, I um, called the department, the director of the Parks and Rec Department, and just asked if I could go talk to him. And to his credit, he made himself available almost right away. He That's said, awesome. Yeah, he said, you know, I'm, I have a meeting later. And I said, I can come right now. I'm on vacation if you want. He's like, sure, <laughs> I can come now. I was like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> and he sat with me for an hour and a half. And we wow. just got on his computer. And I, I, I told him who I was. I told him my story. And I said, this is the lens I'm coming to. Can we just take a look? And can we really walk through what this would look like? And he, he listened, he talked, he brainstormed. Like I really give him, I give him credit for sitting yeah, and talking with so me. Good. And in the end, he sort of leaned back and he's like, okay, so here's the deal. You're not going to win this one on ADA because I'm this, we are offering an ADA playground. You're going to win this one on best practices. And I said, okay. So I felt like he almost started coaching me about wow, how so I was going to win this. And he said more than once, he's like, you have to talk to the money guy. He's like, here's who you have to talk to. You have to talk to the money guy and you have to talk to this woman who is the head of the Our Town's Disability Commission. He's like, yeah. those are your next two conversations. And I was like, thank you very much. And yeah. I let him know I felt like it was my role and something I could offer to raise awareness. I really feel like part of the problem is that people just don't think about inclusive playgrounds. If families don't have any personal experience, with knowing anyone who would 
need an inclusive playground, they might just not think about it. But I also think a whole lot of them, if made aware of the issue, would say, oh, I support that. We totally should do that. So I approached it as my what I could offer was to raise awareness. And then I had a whole series of conversations where I met with the money guy. I talked to the leader of the disability commission. She offered to let me share my thoughts with the whole disability commission. I ended up speaking with the principal at the school and had a meeting with him. I spoke with the district director of diversity, equity, inclusion. And I said, really, really, is an inclusion issue. And one of my lines continued to be, if we don't intentionally include these kids in this design, then for the next 15 years, we are excluding them. This is not just a one-shot deal. We are no, they're not going to go back. Julie, say say that again. again. Yeah. If we (laughs) don't intentionally include these children in this design, then we are knowingly excluding them for the next 15 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> and so I mean, good. that is the truth. That yeah. is very much the truth. So yeah. go forth. And if we don't make this design be inclusive, not only to kids in chairs, but as you mentioned, Holly, it's not only the kids in chairs, it's kids who use yes. a white cane. Mulch becomes yeah. very difficult for anyone yeah. to maneuver. It's for kids who are in walkers. It's for anyone that has a balance issue. It's for the grandfather who's there in his yes. walker mm-hmm. carrying. It's for the friend of mine in a wheelchair who would love to bring niece and nephew to the playground, but can't because it's yeah. just not safe. So it's yeah. really so many people in our community who need to be considered if we're really going to try to make an inclusive community. And that's how I tried to sell it is we can do better. If you know better, do better. And we know better. <laughs> yes. I think I've heard Holly say that So one of the things that, that I've heard from is. both of you guys is research was knowing the right people. It was getting out there and educating. And and Julie, I promise we're going to dive into some really specific things that you guys feel like every playground should have. And so we'll play with that. But before we do, how did that story end? How did you win the day? Well, yep. And I want to be sure to mention also that there I had posted first on a, a website, a Facebook page of diversity, equity, inclusion in town. And a number of people said, here's who to talk to. Here's who to talk to. Let me know if we can write yes, letters. So, so I wouldn't say that it was, it was, there were really many people right at the ready to write if they wanted. And when I started and met first, I said, first, let me meet with the person. I really believe in addressing the issue directly first. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to try to address it directly with the person and then have the support come in behind. So a number of people wrote letters. We had a letter from a seventh grader. We had a letter from a fourth grader. We had a letter from some of the parents in the community, from an occupational therapist, from someone who wasn't a wheelchair. So they all wrote letters to the disability, not to the Parks and Rec Commission. Um, And he told me too, he's like, if we get two letters, we might pay attention. If we get 15 to 20 letters, we're going to take notice. If we get 200 letters, that gets annoying. And I thought that's very good to know. I will keep that in mind. Yeah. And so did count. you want to annoy them or not annoy them? I mean, I no, feel like no, that's I kind of the balance, not, right? No, for real, I did not need to annoy them. I needed to raise enough awareness for the change to happen. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And so he, even at some point I looped around and I said, hey, how are we doing on letters? And he said, we're good 
beyond the letters that just say, let's have inclusive playgrounds, we get the message. What we could use now are specific examples of what so we could good. put in. So that was really, so I really felt like he was willing to collaborate. And that was the vibe I got. I got that from the principal. I got it. The money guy, he came to the table. <laughs> money. I get it. Right. Yeah. But other people were like, I'm with you. I hear you. I gotcha. <laughs> so um, what happened? So there was a disability was, garrison out there waiting to join <laughs> and to fight alongside yes. you. I love it. <laughs> so they ended up extending the second public hearing by a week. And that was because they went back and talked to the architects and the principal. And I began to hear a little, like at that point, my conversations were done, but I began to hear about other conversations that were happening. I also was invited to present to the Parks and Commission, which I'll, I'll tell you all about later. But in the end, they came back with a new design for the play structure and the playground. And the play structure itself had ramp access with three turning points points, the three turning points all had panels to play with. It had a slide that was one of those roller slides, Holly, that you were talking about. It had all three, they were redoing three playgrounds. And I focused just on the one because that was about all I could, you know, I couldn't bite off more than I could chew on this round. But all three <laughs> playgrounds were being put out for bid for that poured in place rubberized surface. So all of wow, a sudden, all so our playground in particular went out to bid with an accessible carousel, a picnic table mm. that had built in access Whoa. for wheelchairs and an accessible swing, one of those basket swings. So I feel like all around. It was a totally different and inclusive playground. And I think also, so it's not for my son, Jake, because he's not with us anymore, but it is for the child two streets up that I know is in a chair. And it is for my son's friends who, where I see my son so comfortably interacting with that child and the other friends just a little more timid because they don't really know. But if we build in the opportunity for them to play together, they will get to know and interact with all sorts of kids and it will become very normalized for our typical kids. That's so good. That's so good. Yay. And one more thing, which is that because there are so many playgrounds that closed, I've heard word that one of our, so we're a larger town. We have 40,000 in one of the suburbs of the city nearby. So one of our larger playgrounds is due to be gutted next year. And when I was presenting to the Parks and Rec Commission and sharing all of these ideas, at the end of that, the director of the Parks and Rec said, hey, everybody, we have this opportunity. He said, we all know that Robbins needs to be renovated next year. And I see this as a really good opportunity for us in universal design. And in that, I was like, yeah. yeah. That's so good when people start repeating uh, the, the things that you're fighting for. I love That's it. it. Well, right. Well, yeah. And so, you know, congratulations to both of you guys. Uh, and, and I think it also demonstrates though, that this is not impossible that you can make an impact and we're we'll finish out by talking a little bit about that but the thing that both of you have been wanting to talk about the entire time (laughs) which i love i think it's awesome so i want you guys to have an opportunity to geek out a little bit and talk about some of the cooler (laughs) features that inclusive playgrounds have Um, and let's let's kick it off with the one that we've been hitting on a ton nobody likes mulch what what, what's our alternative yeah, the unitary surfacing is really big. And I think um, Julie touched unitary surfacing. Unitary, I don't think people unitary. know what that means. So something 
that is not loose or in pieces. So something that is solid and slip resistant and is flat. So these can come in a, in a variety of forms. There are some that are called poured in place rubber where it's, it's, it's actually really fun and soft and like squishy to walk on kind of a little bit cloud-like. Uh, they also make a tiled version of that same rubbery surface. There is field turf can be unitary wow. of, of what they put under, like they kind of put like a, a rubber pad under this false grass that can kind of keep it flat. Those are, those are the primary ones that I've seen done, but surfacing is such a huge gap because it is, um, the engineered wood fiber technically meet the regulations of ADA, but in reality do not, they meet regulations of ADA if, and only if they are maintained, meaning raked, tamped and filled daily. So parks and recs, <laughs> uh, city managers, mayors, superintendents, um, don't bullshit me. You are not doing that daily. <laughs> that is not happening. Right. That is no not. Way. I'll post, we'll post on the website with this episode, um, a, a study on playground services, but there's this quote from it that I highlighted in, in my presentation to the city and the school board. And it says failure to recognize the significant role of the surface material is the conscious or unconscious decision to design for segregation. Wow. And I think that just repeats Julie's thing of, of, of choosing to not design this well now means you are choosing to segregate and, and leave these students out. And that is just absolutely not okay. And, wow. and it's not even about it there there's also safety for typical kids too and, and there's also I mean I talk to teachers all the time like the cleanliness in classrooms of what gets brought in from the playground uh, unitary surfacing there's there's loads of benefits to it and choosing to not do it is you're making the choice especially once yes. you know if you've heard this episode then you're <laughs> then you're consciously making the choice and, and there's lots of alternatives out there but but surfacing is is a huge piece of, of any inclusive playground and kind of a must have, like you've got to have unitary surfacing to be an inclusive playground. Yeah. Speak to it, Julie. Come on. I know Nicole, you want to jump it's in absolutely. too. No, I, I can only <laughs> echo and amplify what you have to say. I think if the minute you hit mulch, a whole population, many populations of people are now excluded. They go from being independent to now becoming dependent again. Wow. So mm -hmm. you're taking away their independence wow. by having mm -hmm. mulch as a surface or yeah. any other uneven surface. I, that I agree with you. I think that it has to start with that. So yeah. good. All yeah. right. So we, we've got time for a few more features. Uh, Julie, I'm going to let you pick the next one. Which sure. one Which one are you super excited to nerd oh, out? I'm going to go with one? two, if that's okay. I just was yeah. thinking, Holly, earlier you were talking about how a thoughtful design of playgrounds has certain elements at different levels right next to each other. Yes. And so one of the playgrounds we really love has three slides right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And one of them worked for my son, Jake. The other two didn't. He would get his legs. It would become very, he would um, like skid and, and yeah. skid his feet on them. Whereas yeah. 
slide that has the rollers worked for, for us with him. I loved the design that had the three slides right next to each other so that Jake could go on the slide that worked for him and Lucas could go on the slide that worked for him. And we were yeah. all sliding together. Yeah. And in the wow. same vein, looking at swings, I think a lot of people see the bucket swings and say, oh, that's so great. They have an accessible swing. Well, as someone who uses those and use those with my kiddo, Jake, as often as not, the straps have been cut off by people yeah. who are worried that their children might choke on it. And as mm. soon as you take the straps off, you've rendered that bucket swing inaccessible. Mm. And now there's nothing that my kid can play with. Yeah. On that. The yeah. other thing that happens is that sometimes those bucket swings are placed near the toddler swings. And that is something that I, again, I think people just need to be made aware of. That's not appropriate when it's a nine-year-old playing with a seven-year-old. They don't belong near the toddler swings. They belong yeah. near big kid swings. Yeah. Um, and even more, that still requires a transfer. So the, another swing that I love are the roll-on swings where yes. they're a little, it's a, a metal platform with two ramps on either side and you unhinge the ramps and then the person can roll on, someone can hinge them. And then I know that requires some assistant, our son of required assistance anyway. And then the child can stay in the chair and swing. And I often think about people who say, well, you know, I've had conversations with a friend where I think he was worried that designing a playground would take something away from his child. And when I got into more details about the different types of changes, partway through the conversation, he's like, oh, so actually it doesn't take anything away. It just makes right. it so they could play on it. And I said, uh, yes, that's yes. the whole idea. So that kind of platform swing, I have been to playgrounds where two typical kids have been using it and swinging back and forth. And it's a fun, different swing for them, yeah. and, but yet it's built so that any child can go on it. So, so those good. are two of the ones that I love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, I think those are good ones. You know, I think oftentimes when the folks are just designing a playground without putting that thought into it, they're not really finishing out a, a play type. So whether it's spinning, they're only including one spinning thing and really only one type of level of child can use it. And really kind of each type of play element has multiple levels to it, regardless of even, even typically developing children, right? There's that quote about the popcorn, like the popcorn kernels are all in the same oil, the same heat, yet some pop right at the beginning and some pop towards the end. So, right. so it's, you know, there, there, there needs to be some thought put into ensuring you're including all of those challenge levels and that you're grouping them close to one another and that, that you're really thinking about the different types of of folks that'll use the park, whether it's a public park and we'll have grandparents who will be picnicking or lots of right. strollers. We need to have wider paths because we got dueling strollers or whatever it might be. One of the things that in my inclusive playground certification that, that we talked about that, that really hit me was this idea of the coolest thing oh. uh, and designers might not know what it is, but you kind of have an idea of what's going to be the coolest thing on the playground. That thing needs to be accessible to everyone. Because yes. nobody wants to feel left out of whatever the coolest thing 
right. of the playground is. So, so making sure that you're finding that central item and ensuring that there is access for everybody to play so meaningfully. Good. You know, uh, Julie, you talked about how, uh, you know, like, well, technically we're ticking the boxes of ADA because the kid can roll under the bridge. Are we playing or are we? Are well, that's we, not meaningful. You know, are you yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like really, truly think about what are ways that. It's accessible because they can see the playground yeah. from 10 feet away. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. The coolest thing elevated play. You talked about this in your story too. It is really meaningful. You all, kids want to go high. Uh, yeah. and, and so figuring out ways to do that ramps are an option, but making sure your ramp doesn't lead to nowhere either that, that you're thinking about how would this actually be used for a, a child who may be a wheelchair user? What would, what can they do when they're up there and what happens if they get out of their chair when they're up there and right. how do they get their chair back? You know, just kind of thinking through that play cycle and how the playground is going to be used instead of just kind of throwing a random hodgepodge of activities and, and pieces. How will routes and maneuverability, that was a big piece that we worked on in, in our uh, Congress playground design of, of how will kids go, go around the playground. There's different access points and some kids will use the balance beam to enter this way. And some kids will use the monkey bars to enter this way. And there's a ramp that meets in the middle that they can kind of all tee off at. So yeah. it, it's really, there. there's so many components to it. It's not super hard though. I wouldn't say, you know, Julie, I am, it's just a matter of learning, educating yourself a little bit around these different points. And there's lots of materials out there to do that. Then it's speaking up when the yes. opportunity comes, because oftentimes we're all paying for these playgrounds, folks. These are public dollars, your dollars paying for this. So speak up on how it should be used That's right. and taking that action to, to kind of rally some, some troops to, to support and make sure that the folks in charge understand how important and how critical this is. And I think Holly already answered this question, but I'm going to turn it to Julie to close us out. If you could give some advice to, there are going to be listeners who are going to be ready to make a huge change uh, and want to have an opportunity to ensure that the next 15 years mm -hmm. we're intentionally including by creating those playgrounds. So what advice do you have for those folks who are about to step into this journey? So my advice is to do the research. I thought it was, I was on a very steep learning curve when I started this. Holly, it sounds like, you know, a whole lot about inclusive playgrounds. <laughs> I only knew the experience as a parent who would take my children to them. It certainly helped to have conversations, to do some reading and to, to learn more about the law, about expectations, about the town environment, about the research, about the funding, so that when you go have the conversation, you are informed and you know what you can pull, what facts or data or experiences you can pull from to advocate. I really worked hard on saying who's in the decision-making seat because that's who I need to talk to. So I think that it's important to know who in your town or in your area is sitting at the table making the decision and try to see if you can have a conversation with any one of them. Um, I personally 
like I said, always like starting and speaking directly to them and say, I'm coming to you first. Uh, I am going to, after speaking to you, I see my goal is raising awareness. So I am going to become more public. I just want to let you know that. But I think out of respect for, I mean, these people spend a lot of their time and a lot of it's volunteer hours on their part too. So for me, out of respect, starting with directly with them and then following up with some more publicity. And I think that I just knew it was going to take a lot of time and my family knew for this, for me, it was a very intense turnaround for that period of time. Tell me when you're free, I will make myself available and I am happy to talk. I will also say that I was told by many people that showing pictures and showing visuals made it so clear. And I always started the visuals with what we were aiming for. I didn't start with criticism and I was really clear to say, I am not here to complain. I am here to raise awareness and to be part of the problem. I think we can do better and sign me up, I will be a part of it. I will research, I will invite people to playgrounds and I'll have wheelchairs there so they can see what the experience is like. I'll go on field trips and go look at inclusive playgrounds in our area, sign me up. I am willing to be a part of the solution. I think it's really important. And uh, so my line was play is for everyone. So let's make sure that we can make it so play is for everyone. And I'm working with you on this. So with that, then having a lot of conversations, raising the awareness, that's what worked for me (laughs) so so far. You're absolutely right. You're, you're dead on. You have to come at it from a standpoint of trying to be collaborative and, and raising that awareness. Despite, I will tell you, there are times I wanted to pull my hair out and just am so frustrated at, at some of the feedback that you might get or the lack of understanding or, or even, and so, so I just want to, I guess I just, I don't even know if we'll include this or not, but but I just wanted to say, yes, you're absolutely right. It is. I think it's hard. Some, some days that is hard as an advocate to be the honey and not the vinegar. It depends. Fair on enough. For me. And I, <laughs> I lost a good amount of sleep in those couple yes. of weeks, tossing and turning and being like, what? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But then also sitting at the table and yeah, again, if we know better, let's do better. And yes. we know better. Yeah. So let's yeah. do better. Well, yeah. and I can say this emphatically, both of you are a part of the solution. Both of you have Uh, offered solutions and made such an incredible impact in your communities uh, around the U.S. and around the world. Uh, And I I know that to be true. So it has been an honor to interview both of you guys. And uh, we're going to make sure that everyone has access. We're going to continue to fight for this. You know, we we're doing a campaign called hashtag fair play for all, where we celebrate play and we're going to continue to work for this and disability garrison, all of you out there who are joining us in this fight for justice and equality and for inclusion. uh, It is an honor to join alongside you. You, some of you never even heard this podcast as Julie just mentioned, but we consider you a part of our garrison and together we're going to continue to make a difference. What an incredible interview. It was such a privilege to be able to interview my co-host, Holly. And man, our special guest today really was so incredible. So as always, we want to leave you, the Disability Garrison, with three things that you can do to impact this issue. And as always, we start with something that you as an individual can do. Then we want to talk about a systematic change that we're trying to make. And then last but not least, we want to talk about a great organization that we donate to and that you also can donate to. So first, what can you do as an individual to have an impact on this issue? Be aware. 
it's amazing until you see that there's a problem. Often we can't fix it. How many inclusive playgrounds are around you right now? When you go to those playgrounds, are you seeing that there's something going on? Are you seeing that it's inclusive? Are you able to advocate for inclusive playgrounds the next time that it comes up at your school or county board, keeping your eye open for these things and talking about the importance of inclusive play with friends and family is one of the things that we can do as individuals to make a huge impact. Second, and I am really excited about this, hashtag Fair Play for All campaign is starting today. For those of you who haven't participated in hashtag Fair Play for All, this is something that GTE Independence does every year, and it's our way of highlighting this issue and talking about what we can do. So I want you to go to our website at gtindependence.com or go to disabilitygarrison.org, and on there, you're going to have the opportunity to vote for which one of these accessible features that we talked about today you like the most. So you get to vote. And when you vote, you're going to be entered in for an opportunity to win a super awesome prize. Let me tell you about the prize. In September, we're going to go to Morgan's Wonderland, which is a nonprofit, inclusive, accessible theme park in Texas. And we're going to be uh, giving away a trip to join us for Maggie's birthday, which is going to be super awesome. It'll be a great way to celebrate and also just a great way to have a systematic impact on this issue. So hashtag fair play for all. Everybody, make sure that you go on our website, vote, enter for an opportunity to win this really awesome prize. And last but not least, we want to talk about an organization that you can donate to. We want you to support Unlimited Play. Unlimited Play is an award-winning nonprofit organization that builds inclusive playgrounds for children of all abilities nationwide. We really encourage you to go and donate to them. Again, Disability Garrison, we are honored and privileged to bring these things before you and to be a part of the army of disability rights advocates that's having an impact on these issues. Thank you for joining us. Us. Hashtag fair play for all. Let's celebrate play together.